In our second reading, we turn to the Gospel of Luke. We're basically spending this year together in Luke as we follow the life of Christ alongside the church calendar. We turn to chapter 6, and we pick up in the middle of a sermon that Jesus is, is preaching, and this is what he says next. I say to you that listen, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who abuse you. If anyone strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also, and from anyone who takes away your coat, do not withhold even your shirt. Give to everyone who begs from you, and if anyone takes away your goods, do not ask for them again. Do to others as you would have them do to you. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. If you do good to those who do good to you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. If you lend to those from whom you hope to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to receive as much gain. But love your enemies. Do good. Lend expecting nothing in return. Your reward will be great, and, your and you will be children of the Most High, for He is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. Be merciful, just as your Father is merciful. Do not judge, and you will not be judged. Do not condemn, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be forgiven to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put in your lap, for the measure you give will be the measure you get back. The word of the Lord. Thanks. Join me in a prayer. Dear Lord, pastors often steer way clear of this reading. It is a tough one. So be with us as we walk through the possibilities of it and what Jesus is perhaps suggesting to us today. Be with us as we wrestle with these words in light of our wrestling of all of Scripture. Be with us and guide us, speak to us, that we may hear exactly what you would have us hear and become the people you would have us be. For it is only in Christ that these things are possible, we pray in his name, amen. So, we all know about the Sermon on the Mount, right? We find it in Matthew chapter 5. Jesus looks out and sees the crowd and he walks up the side of the mountain and turns to speak. Sermon on the Mount. It's one of the stops, actually, on the Holy Land trip that the church took a couple of years ago. And let me tell you to sit in that spot and gaze across that landscape. You can imagine the whole thing happening, the crowds milling about and Jesus walking up the side of what really in Texas is more like a hill, turns and says those famous words, Blessed are the poor in spirit. Theirs is the kingdom of God, the Sermon on the Mount. Good stuff. But we're not 
reading from Matthew today. We're reading from Luke. And Luke has a completely different take on the whole affair. For one thing, in Luke's version, Jesus doesn't preach quite as long. Luke's kind of like the kids this morning who can only listen to about two to three minutes of time with children and they're done. He moves on. He just It's a shorter sermon. Another thing that is different is that instead of having Jesus walk up the mountain to preach above the people in Luke, Jesus instead comes down to the plain and preaches among them. The more you look at these two versions of this sermon and what's going on around them, the more you begin to see that Luke is is perhaps trying to make Jesus a little more accessible. Another one is in today's reading that stands out. It's, it's at the end of that part that we're going to talk about more in a minute, love your enemies. And at the end of that, in Matthew, Jesus says, be perfect, therefore, as your Father in heaven is perfect. Luke tones it down a bit, uses a different Greek word, says, be merciful, as your Father in heaven is merciful. The more you look at these two, you just find that Matthew's Jesus is a little more lofty, whereas Luke's Jesus is a little more down to earth. You might even go as far as to say that Matthew's Jesus preaches a a holy righteousness, whereas Luke's Jesus preaches more of an abundant grace. No matter how much you want to dissect this thing apart and see the differences, you cannot escape the gripping challenge of the words we just read a moment ago. Whether he goes up on the mountain, comes down to the plain, the words challenge us. Love your enemies, he said. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. Someone strikes you on the cheek, give them the other one. If someone takes your coat, hey, give them your shirt while you're at it. How are we supposed to do that? How in the world are we supposed to live out these lines, at least in the way that it seems like Jesus is expecting us to do? How are we supposed to do it? How am I supposed to preach on it? I mean, how are you supposed to preach on a text like this without either robbing it of its potency or sending us out with a complete misunderstanding of what's being said here? How do we say it? without you walking out of here thinking that you therefore have to remain in a relationship that's abusive because that's not what it's saying. How do we say it so that someone doesn't walk out of here thinking that therefore I have to find the most dangerous situation and by my faith I then have to intentionally place myself in it because that's not what it's saying either. So how do we talk about it? How do we try to live into this impossible thing. What Jesus is asking of us here 
is impossible. It'd be a lot better if we had superpowers like Iron Man or Black Panther, you know, we could striking the other cheeks no big deal. Or if we had an infinite supply of things to give away, never run out. Those things aren't true. We don't have those things. We we hurt when people hit us. We strike at us. We we only have so much. We can't do it. We don't have what Jesus has. Professor Von Crow Tipton, there's a mouthful of a name, points out that one of the things we do often is in this text is we focus on that line that says your reward will be great. Your reward will be great. That love, when you love, when you do good, when you lend without expectation, your reward will be great. And what we want to do with that is we want to, the way we want to hear it is if, well, if I can just try to put up with that jerk down the street, (laughs) then Jesus will love me all the more, you know. That's what we deep down kind of want to hear. There's a problem with that. One of the problems is it runs the risk of turning us into the kind of people that those who aren't part of church despise. Turns us potentially into the kind of people who love because there's a prize at the end of it. Not really. Don't really care about you. I'm just after my reward. Another thing it does if you run that track of thinking is that it makes a grand assumption that God loves some more than others. And the more you read the Bible, the more you realize that neither of those things are true. We are not in a contest to see who can love the most. That at the end of the day, when when someone loves even slightly more than someone else, they get the trophy to hang on their wall. That's not what the Christian life is about. The love of God is not conditional. God's love is unconditional. And that's what's so challenging about these words we just read a moment ago because Jesus is radically challenging us to do the same. The problem is, the thing is, we can't do it. We can try, and it is part of our life, it is part of the Christian life to be in practice of these things, to love as much as we can, to do all of those things that we We try to better ourselves in that way, but at the end of the day, we will not fulfill them, not like it's said here. We do judge. We struggle to love our enemies. We don't want to forgive sometimes. I don't want to. Can't do it. We don't have what Jesus has. So, why 
does he say it? If we can't do it, why does he say it? Let's come at it this way. No matter how hard our effort is, no matter how hard we we practice, no matter how much we earnestly seek to better ourselves, we will fail at the end of the day. Practice is not what makes us Christian. That's not what changes us. It doesn't mean don't do it. It doesn't mean don't live this life that we live and and try to practice these things. Practice is a good thing, but at the end of the day, we will not make it, not on our own. And, And that's what these words are getting at. That's in part why he says it. Practice isn't what changes us. Tipton puts it this way. He says, what changes us What allows us to love is a grace far larger than our sin, our best intentions, even our hardest work. Jesus knows full and well when he says these things that we're not able to do them ultimately. He knows that we cannot love an enemy without a grace that changes who we are. The reward is not some trophy at the end of the race or anything like that. The reward is who we become along the way if we were to allow ourselves to rely on this grace bigger than who we are. Theologian Dietrich Bonhoeffer put it this way. He once said that Christianity preaches the infinite worth of that which is seemingly worthless and the infinite worthlessness of that which is seemingly valuable. It's a great line. As we live this life together, as we try to do these things in the way that we feel like is, is our calling, as we practice them even, at the end of the day, we know that we won't make it. Our practice is not what makes it possible. Grace is what makes these things Jesus said possible. In her book on spiritual leadership, Reverend Joan Gray, former moderator of our denomination years back, she writes about the image of the table at the Last Supper. It's a great compelling image. I want you to think about it for a minute. Who was sitting around that table on the Last Supper? You have Judas, who's about to betray him. You have Philip, who spent all this time with Jesus and still doesn't understand who he is. You have James and John, who are climbing over each other, trying to get the best seat at the table. You've got 
Thomas, who's going to refuse to believe in the re- believe the resurrection. You have Peter, who's about to deny him three times before the night is over. By every method that we usually use to measure success, they are all about to fail. And Jesus looks at them anyway and says to them, Anyway, he says, those who believe in me will be able to do the things that I do. In fact, they will be able to do things greater than these. How could he say that? How could he even look at them? How could he say those things in that sermon that day and look at us? I want, you to, I want you to listen to what I'm about to say because it's important. The reason Jesus says those things is not because we somehow have the ability to fulfill them, to do them. It's not why he says them. He says it because he knows we can't. We don't have what Jesus has. We rely on what Jesus has. That's why it's called faith. And what we find, what we've come to believe, is that Jesus has more than enough to share, and He's willing to give it. God has more than enough, and he's willing to give it. That's why it's called grace. And so we can hear this challenge, we can listen to these challenging words that he says to us so long ago and today, not because we have the ability to fulfill them, but ultimately because they force us to rely on the only one who can, the only one who does. It's good news, but good news is not always easy news. These words are challenging. It's challenging to try and love in a way that you never thought possible. It's challenging to try to live in a way that you never thought possible. And at the end of it all, that we aren't capable of doing. But the words are we have, and sometimes I've come to believe that sometimes the hardest things in life are the very things that point us back to a God who does more through us than we could ever ask for or imagine. It's a different kind of abundance. Amen.